0: Welcome to the Rhodes Church podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. We're in our Firestarter series. We're closing it up today. It's our evangelism series because next week is Easter Sunday. So we pray that you're inviting your three or your five or your ten. That somebody before came into church says, The service said, hey, here's my three, they're with me right now. And so I hope you're just thinking about that, praying about that, because we're realizing through this series that the fire that God's put in our life is not based on how we feel. That's what I mean about raising that hallelujah. Sometimes we tie our connection to God with our emotions so much that we start to determine how close we are to God based on how we feel dangerous ground for us as believers. God spoke something in my heart this morning. He said, Chad, the extent to which you are equipped is not determined by how you feel. It seems like a broken record that God's telling me this over and over. Evidently, I'm a slow learner. But he's like, Chad, the extent to which I've equipped you is not to be measured by how you feel that day. But sometimes we want to feel it. And so we got to realize this that we have the fire of God available to us, and it does not mean that it won't get validated by our emotions that day. So let's check out, see what that means here today. We're going to close this up. If you got your Bibles, get those out. Sermon notes there in your worship guide if you'd like to follow along, paper method, or if you're a techie, want to get your phone out, Version Bible app. We've got the sermon notes available for you there as well. Let's open up our Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 3. Woo! You're like, whoa, we're just excited about Jesus, excited about the Bible. Feel like we get pumped up, yell a little bit for him. Fire starter, the the evangelism series. We've been talking about how we're all evangelists. You're like, no, not me. (laughs) Yes, we are. Because evangelizing only means this. Here's the definition for it. To announce, declare, tell, or demonstrate good news. Just telling people good news. That's what evangelists do. Anybody got any good news that's ever happened to them? I'm not talking about any media, but if you've ever had good news, this is what we tell people. Maybe you've got stuff right now that you're like, hey, there's nothing but bad news in my life. We've got some good news somewhere, even if we have to dig for it, it's in there. And that's what we got to tell people. We tell them good news. Make sure you're doing that, inviting your three this week. Let them know who you are in God and, and what God has for them in store this weekend coming up. We all have the potential to be fire starters We are initiators. We are igniters. Jennifer Balk, talking about the human causes of fires said this. We almost forget it, but wherever people go, we bring fire with us. More than that, we bring fire with us. You know, Because it's only human nature, right? We come and, and we want to see what happens first. Like, well, let's just see what kind of service it is. Let's, let's just see, I'll wait and see what the worship's going to be like. I'll, I'll see what church's going to be like. Like, we're Monday morning quarterbacks going to evaluate. Well, let's see if the worship is really good. How about we determine on the front end it's going to be good because we're bringing the fire with us? I'm not waiting to see if anybody else burns. I'm going to come burn. I'm not waiting to see how the service is going to be. I'm going to bring the service with me. This is what God says we live our life. When you wake up every day, you wake up with a purpose, and you don't ask permission from your feelings. Say, can I be excited about God today? No, this is going wrong. That's going wrong. That's going wrong. Okay, I better tone it down. Hey, bring the fire. Everywhere you go, we bring it with us. You're a fire starter. You're burning up on the inside. Like, Chad, I don't feel like it. I know it doesn't matter. But here's what we're going to talk about. I gave you the three ingredients or components, if you will, of a fire. We talked about a fire requires a heat source, requires oxygen, and it requires fuel. We found all of these in Matthew chapter 3. Let's look at it. Verse 11 says, I indeed, John the Baptist is, going, is speaking here, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry He, Jesus, he's talking about, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff, the junk, the impurities out of our life with unquenchable fire. So notice what's happening here. Jesus said, or John the Baptist speaking of Jesus, he said, Jesus is going to baptize you That word baptize means to immerse, to engulf, means to dip in completely, overwhelm you. When he's talking about, I'm going to immerse you, I'm going to engulf you, I'm going to overtake you, every part of you. You're all going in. What parts are he going to baptize us in? He's going to baptize us in two things, the Holy Spirit and fire. First week, we talked about the heat source. That's the fire. Talk about the benefit of fire, light for direction and heat to add value. Second week, last week, we talked about the fuel Remember we talked about Moses and the burning bush. If you weren't here, you need to listen to that. Get on YouTube, check that out. We learned how God wants us to be the bush to allow God's fire to burn in our life, so that other people will turn aside and look and see what God is doing in your life so that he can... I gave that most creative, incredible illustration of God speaking out of your bush last week. Do you remember that? It took me hours to come up with this. But you know, we talked about how when we burn for God... The fire inside of us literally speaks to other people. And this is what God wants to do. So now, we talked about fire week one. We talked about fuel week two. Today, we're talking about oxygen. Everybody say oxygen. oxygen. We're going to talk about what that means. If you look here, he says, I'm going to immerse you, He baptize you in the Holy Spirit. The word means uh, current of air. Holy Spirit is the word pneuma, means current of air, breath, wind, or spirit. Here's the purpose of oxygen. To transport and spread flames. Purpose of oxygen is to build a fire, to feed a fire, to transport and spread a fire. That's what air does. It's what oxygen do- does. So let's go over and see how that's going to impact us today. Go to Acts chapter 1. Matthew 3 is just our launching. We're going to Acts chapter 1, see what the oxygen has to do with the fire in our life. I'm going to start reading in verse 1 of Acts chapter 1. This is Luke. One of the disciples who wrote the book of Acts, here's what he says. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, this is when he ascended into heaven, after through the Holy Spirit he had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, Just translating, make sure you understand. Jesus is just saying that he appeared to the disciples. You know, this is Passion Week. Today's Palm Sunday. Next week is Easter. And so we're going to celebrate this time, the season of Jesus' walk on the earth, that after Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to the disciples many times. It says he provided many infallible proofs or or unmistakable proofs, letting them know. And it says, being seen by them during 40 days, You might want to make note of that, 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, the Bible says in another place that he appeared to over 500 people after he was resurrected over a 40-day period. So Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, and then appeared alive to his disciples and others over 500 people over a 40-day period. So this is what we're talking about. During that time, after he resurrected, but before he ascended into heaven. Here's verse 4. And being assembled together with him. So he's hanging out with the disciples. He commanded them. Everybody say commanded. I mean, when Jesus commands something, we need to pay attention. This is not, I suggest it. You know, hey, if you think about it, Chad, if you got time, if you could possibly, might maybe. That's not what he's saying. He commanded them. That's a strong language. He gave them orders. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Commanded them to wait, Jerusalem, not, don't leave there, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which you have heard from me. Now, what's the promise? They're waiting on a promise. And the promise uh, is Luke 24, 49. I'll give you what the promise is. Jesus was speaking here. He says, behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So he told the, the disciples, hey, don't leave Jerusalem. Don't leave. Hang out. Stay here until you receive the promise. What's the promise? Luke tells us the promise It's going to come from the Father, and he's going to endue us with power. That word power is the Greek word dunamis, which means miraculous force or ability. So we don't use the word endue a lot. Hey, I I endue you today with this. We don't say that very often in our language. So what does that mean? The basic definition of endue means to clothe or put on, or another way they define it is to submerge into. Like you submerge yourself into a pair of pants. (laughs) Some of you, some jeans are tighter than others, but when you submerge yourself into those, maybe you have to lay down on the bed, whatever you got to do. I'm just letting some thoughts run around the track there. Never mind. So you, got, you submerge it. It's like you go into something. Something comes on you, but you go into it. He says, I'm going to endue you with power. I'm going to submerge you into power. That's the promise. That's what he's saying is coming. Wait for that. Wait for the promise. That's what he's telling me. Hey, I, want you, I want you to do some stuff. Remember he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel? Some of them got antsy and ready to go. But, but he said, I want you to wait. I want you to wait. Now, here's what that word wait means there in verse 4. Wait for the promise. He says it means to stay around, to endure, to remain in a place or state with expectancy. With expectancy concerning a future event. Have you ever, any of you ever waited for someone and you didn't know whether they're going to show? Anybody ever been stood up before? It's not a great feeling, is it? Like, hey, thought you were going to be there. Have you ever waited for your spouse or your parents or a friend to pick you up? Anybody ever forgot to pick their kids up? I've heard about it happening. Anybody anybody ever, you've been supposed to go get someone and they send you a text or call you? They say, hey, where are you? And you say, I'm on my way. And you know... You were not on your way. It's like you weren't even thinking about them. Again, I'm not saying I've ever did, done that, but I'm just saying I've heard examples of someone texting me or, or people texting someone else and say, hey, where are you? And I text back, O-M-Y or O-M-W. Yeah, that's how you spell it. i I'm on my way. <laughs> on my way. I'm on my way. And so I'm literally just leaving. So this waits is waiting with expectancy. Not waiting like, they're probably not showing. They're probably not going to be here. They've left me so many times. I don't know if they'll ever come. It's not that kind of waiting. Scriptural waiting. The word waiting is like when your kids are waiting for someone to pick them up, and they're looking out the window. Exactly. They're, they're, they're constantly looking. Uh, some of my kids, they'll, they'll stand at the front window, pull the curtains apart, and they'll just look. Just waiting for them. They're waiting with expectancy. They're looking for them to come. So it depends on who's picking them up. They may have to wait longer than others, but they're looking for them. They're expecting. This is what we said. I want you to wait for the promise of the Father. I want you to be expecting me. This is the way we've got to wait for God to work in our life. We've got to wait expectantly. We've got to wait knowing he's going to do something. You're like, when, God? When are you going to? Just wait. He's going to do it. He's coming. He's going to show up. He's going to do what he said he's going to do. Just wait expectantly. Keep your head looking out the window. So he tells them, wait for the promise of the Father. So what are they waiting for? Look at verse 5. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So we are going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So this sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds like what John the Baptist said in Matthew chapter 3. So John says that Jesus is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now Jesus says you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I see a pattern. They said, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So verse 6, therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel, kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times and seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. One of my least favorite scriptures in the Bible. You ever felt like that? God's answer to you is, it's not for you to know. It's like, God, I would like to know the times and seasons of when you're going to come through for me. So Chad, it's not for you to know just keep looking for me out the window look he says verse 8 but you shall receive power when the holy spirit has come upon you you shall receive what power. with the rest of you you shall receive what power. power you shall receive power this is the same word that force some miraculous power when the holy spirit has come upon you same thing engulfs you clothes you comes upon you and you shall be witnesses to me now notice what he says you're going to have power to be witnesses now what does it mean to be a witness Here's what a witness literally is. It's one who can testify the truth of what someone has seen, heard, or known. Just It's, it's telling what you see, heard, or know. So what are we supposed to witness to? He says, I'm going to give you power to be witnesses, but what are we supposed to witness about? We're supposed to witness about what we've seen, heard, and known. So I don't know what you've seen, heard, or known, but sometimes we get discouraged that we don't know enough to tell people about God, but God's not asking you to tell people about things you don't know. He's asking you to tell them what you do know. He's not, sometimes we'll disqualify, well, I, don't, I just don't know enough. We may not know everything, but we know something. He's saying, witness about what you know. What have you seen God do in your life? What have you heard God do in your life? What do you know God's done in your life? Here's the way I try to encourage myself is sometimes I have circumstances in my life and it goes into one of two piles. It goes in a pile of what I know and understand and there's a pile over here of what I don't understand. And so when something happens and I don't understand, I put it over here in this pile of what I don't understand. I'm curious about, it. I'm, 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 it's mystery to me. I'm not sure why it didn't happen. I'm not sure why it did happen. It goes in this pile. And then when I get discouraged, I can't allow the mystery pile take away from what I know in this pile. I know this is what God's doing. I know I've seen this time and time again. I've heard God do this before. I've seen this happen before. So, God, I'm going to take this mystery pile and give it to you and trust you in it, and I'm going to hold on to what I know instead of what I don't know. Sometimes we lean on what we don't know, and we get discouraged because of what we don't know. It's okay to have a pile of don't knows, But don't get connected to it. I give it to God. It's what I call my cares pile. My first Peter 5, 7. I cast all my cares onto you because you care for me. I'm going to cast these mystery piles onto you, God. And I'm going to cling to what I know about you. That when I'm discouraged, when I'm sad, when I don't know when he's going to come through, I don't know when it's going to happen. Here's what I know. Well, what about this? I don't know. What about that? I don't know. But what do you do know? Well, here's what I know. That's what we got to have. Got to have those. And this is what he's telling you. You got to hang on about what you know. I'm going to ask you just to tell what you know about. If anybody, anybody ever been to Niagara Falls? Anybody here? I've never been to Niagara Falls. See, you can testify about Niagara Falls. You can talk about what you've seen, heard, and know. I can't do that. I've never been there. God's not going to ask you to test about, testify about something that you don't know. This is why we can grow In what we've seen, heard, and know that God can do in our life. This is why we gotta keep growing. Don't get satisfied in your level of experience with God. Keep pressing for more. He wants to show you more. He wants you to see more. He wants you to hear more. He wants you to know more. Why? Because then you'll be able to testify about more. If somebody wants to know about Niagara Falls, I gotta call you. Uh, They can tell you, I don't know anything about it. But if I will go, then next time somebody wants to talk about Niagara Falls, says, hey, I know something about that place. I've been there. That's what God's asking for us to do in our life. You say, when somebody needs something, when they bring something, a life experience across your path, you say, hey, I know something about that. I've seen that happen in my life. I've heard about that. God's done for me in my life. So this is why we can be able to testify about what we've seen, heard, and know. Now, who do we do it to? He tells us here. He says, I want you to be a witness to me in Jerusalem, and Judea. What does that represent? That's just their fellow people right around there, your family and friends, people close to you. Want to be a witness in Samaria. Samaria was a neighboring country. So you'd be a, a witness to the people around you, your neighbors, and also to the end of the earth. That means wherever we come in contact. I brought up a map to give you an idea of what geographically we're talking about. Jerusalem, Judea, may be hard for you to see back there in the back, but the Jerusalem and Judea right there is your neighborhood. These are fellow Jews. That's where the Jews were. Samaria represents represents people that kind of compromised. These were their neighbors, country next to them. These people that worshiped God and worshiped other gods. So there's kind of a mixed group. And then you've got the ends of the earth. So God's saying, here's who I want you to witness to. I want you to witness to those close to you that think like you, talk like you, act like you. I want you to witness to them, but I also want you to go people that don't think like you, don't act like you, don't talk like you. I want you to witness to them, and then I want you to be able to go wherever you are. I want that fire of God to shine brightly for the world to see. Your power to be witnesses wherever you go. So now look what happens. The disciples are waiting in this room, right? They're waiting in the upper room. If you read on in this chapter, you'll find that there was as many as 120 of them in this upper room. So the disciples are waiting for the promise. Jesus said, all right, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Go wait in Jerusalem for the promise. All right, so they're waiting. The disciples, how many of the disciples have seen, heard, and know some things about Jesus? They'd walked with him for three and a half years. They've seen the dude raise the dead. Seen, Seen the lame walk. Seeing the deaf and seeing the mute be able to speak, they've, they've seen all kinds of things happen. They knew some stuff, but they weren't saying anything. They weren't talking. They weren't out on the, pre- out the streets preaching. They were hiding. John says that they were hiding for fear of the Jews. In this case, they were more worried about what people thought about them than they were about what God said, said about them. Had they seen some things? Did they know some things? Yes. But were they doing some things? No. What was the problem? What was wrong with the disciples? Hey, you walked with Jesus. You saw, remember when Lazarus, you remember Lazarus? Lazarus he, was, he walked out in grave clothes. He was dead four days. How many times have we ever thought that the children of Israel were crazy? See things like parting the Red Sea. I mean like for real. Water walls. <laughs> Dry ground. See the fish right there. Hey, what's up? How you doing? Hey, just walk. you know, see miracles like that. Saw all the plagues. Nothing happened. It's dark in your house. What's up, Egypt? Don't have any lights. We got lights over here. It, they saw all those things, and they still didn't serve God. Yes. Like, how could you see all those things and not serve God? How do we do it? You're right, you're right. Before we throw shade on the Israelites, we got to realize that God does stuff for us all the time. And then we want him to show us again. Hey, do something else. Do something more. And this is what Jesus said. You people, you just want a sign. You don't want a relationship. You want a dog and pony show. You want tricks. I want a relationship with your heart. God, prove yourself to me again. Just do, hey, God, I'll really serve you this time. I will really serve you this time. If you'll do this one. You got a laundry list of stuff that God's done for you, and we'll want him to prove himself once again. And I know we all do. We all navigate that. But this is what he's telling us here. He says, listen. It's not about that. So they're, they're trying to figure out how long are we going to have to wait. So let's go over to Acts chapter 2. So they're waiting for the promise. Waiting for the promise. Now when the day of Pentecost had fully come. So how long were they waiting? I want to throw this in. How long were they waiting? Remember in chapter 1 it says that they saw Jesus over 40 days. So maybe you know this, maybe you don't. Jesus, after he rose from the dead, he appeared to many people over a 40-day period. He was alive, walking around on the earth for 40 days, hanging out, cooking fish, doing whatever. So he's 40 days. And Pentecost, the word penta means 50. So now this is 50 days after Jesus died on the cross is when the day of Pentecost happened. We're getting ready to have the day of Pentecost here in just a little bit. So 50 days after Jesus died, he was walking on the earth for 40 days. So somewhere in the neighborhood of at least 10 days after Jesus ascended into heaven. Somewhere in that neighborhood, you don't know an exact time, but we know somewhere around there, they're waiting, they're having to wait 10 days. So Jesus tells them, hey, wait, the promise of the Father's coming, but I want you to wait for it. Okay, so what about 10 days? You know the disciples are in this upper room having this church service waiting for the promise. You know the first day that they started that meeting, I bet they were fired up. I bet the praise and worship was so intense. I bet they were shouting the walls down. The promise is coming. Come on, God said. Wait for him. We wait for the glory. Come on and do us with power, Jesus. We wait for you. Come on. Whoa, man, we can't wait. Day one. I mean, it was day three. Maybe the enthusiasm starting to wane a little bit. You know, maybe Peter wasn't preaching quite as intensely as he wasn't day one. Maybe, maybe they weren't quite as excited. They're waiting. God, oh, God, we still believe, God. We believe. We believe. We believe you're coming, God. We're waiting for the promise. How many? Day five. Day six. Day seven. They start saying, hey, yo, uh, hey, can we just lay down and pray? Let's just pray quietly among ourselves. Just just everybody get a spot on the floor. Let's just meditate. Yeah, I just feel like God's wanting us to be still before him and know that he is God. You know, the, the, the excitement wasn't there. Maybe the band was getting tired of playing and they're getting wore out a little bit. And, and maybe some people were starting to leave because he appeared to over 500 people and only 120 were still there. So somewhere 380 people said, hey, I got to get out of here. He's not coming. But those that waited the full 10 days, something happened. In this book, it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly, everybody say suddenly. 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 It didn't say quickly. It said suddenly. How many of you ever wish that God would work quickly? <laughs> he doesn't work quickly. He works suddenly. It's like never going to happen. Nothing happening. Nothing changing. Still the same. Whoa! Life-changing event. Now, there may be 10 years in there, but he works Suddenly. So I want you to be encouraging, keep your head looking out the window because you don't know when your suddenly moment's coming. Be ready for your suddenly moment. Be ready for that. Be ready looking for God. Be expecting. How do we wait? We wait expecting. We wait expecting. We don't wait. Well, he's probably not coming. We wait expectantly. So here's what happens. They, they see him coming. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven. All right, now I want you to see God's fire triangle in this passage. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. Sound as a rushing mighty wind. That word mighty means violent, strong force, or energy. So here we've got the oxygen. Sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, a violent wind. Now when we talk about this wind, this is not a wind like breeze, this is a violent wind. This is a, a sound. Some said was well, just a sound. It wasn't a wind. It's sound as of a rushing. I don't know whether it was no wind. I don't know if it was just a sound. I just know the Bible says it's a sound as of a rushing mighty wind. Maybe there was no air movement at all. But I believe when the Holy Spirit comes up, and the Holy Spirit means breath, wind, breeze, when the Holy Spirit shows up, there's something a moving in the air. So here's what happened. He says it's a sound. So we got a sound of rushing mighty wind. And look what happens with it. As a, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them, showed up to them. They could see it, divided tongues as a fire. Now, if you've never heard this preached before, don't get nervous. Because it says here, just plain and simple, and I like to describe what it's talking about. Because I want to put ourselves in the room. I would you know, I would like to have been in the upper room that day? Not everybody, obviously. But some people would like to have been in the room. But it's like what appeared to them as divided tongues of fire. Now, the word divided just means to like to distribute individually. So divided doesn't mean like forked tongue, like snake. That's not what we're talking about. Don't get get talking about snakes in church. People get weird. But it's just talking about divided means each one got a portion Like I'm going to divide this up amongst friends, I'm going to give you some, here's your share, here's your share, here's your share, here's your portion. Divided means that they gave out separately and everybody got a portion. Now the word tongues is the Greek word glossa. Now this word is used three different ways in scripture. Glossa can be described as your physical tongue and your mouth. It also can be used to describe a language like speaking a language, a tongue, like a foreign tongue, a native tongue, whatever. And also, the third way can be used to describe the tongues of fire, like literally a flame of fire, like we say the flames were licking up. Of the, the part of a flame is called like a tongue. And it's amazing that all three of these ways are used in this one passage because we have the flames of fire present. We have people speaking in another tongue, and it's actually touching their tongues. So it appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. So we've got the mighty wind, and we've got fire. So we've got oxygen, we've got a heat source, and one set upon how many of them? Each of them, each of them. So that's the fuel. So the Holy Spirit came and set upon each of them. Now here's the way I like to picture it. That the flame of fire that says divided tongues or flames as a fire set upon each of them, upon them, came upon each of them. Here's how I imagine. I don't know that this is the way it went. I just like to try and figure it out myself. Here's why I believe the fire of God. Remember it said it appeared to them so they could see it. So it appeared to them. It became visible is what that word means. So I believe that the flame of fire set upon each of them. I could see yours, but I could not see mine. It's like is on top of your head. You look around. I couldn't see it. But I could see yours. But I can't see mine. Why is that significant? Because I think in our life too many times we're looking at what other people have and we're not believing what we have. Because we can't see it. There's an act of faith to believe that the fire's on me. I see it on you, but how do I know it's on me? I got to believe that it's there. Other people can see it in me. Other people can point at it to me and say, Chad, do you the fire of God's on you. I don't see it. I don't feel nothing. It doesn't matter whether you feel it. you got to believe it. And this is what happened. The fire was on each of them. It wasn't leaving anybody out. Everybody in the room got their own individual touch from God. This is what happened. So He set upon each of them. And look what happened. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So again, scriptural support. Were they all filled with the Holy Spirit? Yes. yes. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance or told them what to say. Now, I'm not going to specifically speak on tongues today as far as the fullness of the topic, but I want you to see what's present in this passage. So fire is present along with the sound of a rushing, violent wind, mighty wind. I wrote this down. I don't want to miss the glory of God because I'm afraid of the presentation of God. Notice they're in the room. And they wanted the glory of God. They wanted the presence of God. But he came in a rushing mighty wind, a violent situation, a violent expression. we got to be careful that we don't tell God how we want him to move in our life. Too many times, we're okay, God, with you moving in our life as long as it looks like this. But what if God wants to do more? Well, I'm not comfortable with that. Hey, he's saying, listen, I want to move in your life. And sometimes it may not be exactly how you pictured it. When the glory of God came on the mountain for the children of Israel on Mount Sinai, fire, thundering, and lightnings came down on the mountain, and God speaks from the mountain. He said, Moses, tell the people to come here. I want to speak to all of them. And they saw the fire and the lightning and the sounds, and they looked up, and they they were afraid. And they said, Moses, uh, you talk to God, and we'll just talk to you. And they rejected the presentation of God. Because it scared him. Let's don't miss out on the glory of God because we're afraid of the presentation of God. We're like, oh, well, that's just too wild for me. What? We can trust Jesus. We can trust Jesus. Maybe you don't trust me, but you can trust what God wants to do in your life. If he wants to baptize you in the Holy Spirit, you need to trust it's a good thing he wants to do for you. He's not going to scare you. He's going to do good by you. So this was not, let me clarify this, this was not a Pentecostal or charismatic church experience. This is a Bible experience. There was no Pentecostal church. There was no charismatic church. This is the beginning of the church. There was no denomination here. This is not limited to certain denominations. It's just in the Bible. It's for everyone. The Bible says the promise is to whosoever, to your children and your children's children, whoever would call upon the name of the Lord. So this is not an experience that's limited to certain people. It's foretold by John the Baptist and by Jesus. Bam, here it is. The full impact of an experience with God can't be determined by the immediate response. What did they do as soon as they were filled? In the scripture, in your Bible, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. Now, whether we understand it all or not, we cannot deny that it's there. It's in the Bible. We can't ignore it. We can't look it away. We can't pretend it's not there. I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't see it. It's there. Why are we scared of what the Bible says? So he says it's there. So they began to speak with other tongues. So what did God touch first when he filled them with the Holy Spirit? He touched their tongue. Now I'm all for speaking in tongues. And I'd love to teach about it. I've got CDs on it. You can go on YouTube. and do a lot of teaching about the value of speaking in tongues and what God has for every believer. I like what Paul said. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he said, I, I, wish, I wish that you all spoke in tongues. I speak in tongues more than you all. But he said, you in church, I would rather speak a few words with understanding than than a bunch of words in a tongue. But he said, here's my conclusion. I'm going to pray in the Spirit, in tongues, and I'm going to pray in the understanding, in the natural. I'm going to sing in the Spirit, and I'm going to sing with understanding. I'm going to do both. So here's what I see in this scripture, that the first thing that was impacted by their encounter with God was their tongue. Why is that? It doesn't say, and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit and start rolling on the floor. It doesn't say they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, started shaking violently. Maybe they did, it just doesn't say it. It doesn't say they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, started doing cartwheels all around the room. For some reason, the first thing that was impacted was their tongue. Why is that? I'm glad you asked. Because here's what I believe. God doesn't just want to touch our tongues spiritually. He wants to touch our tongues naturally. Because something happened to the disciples who had kept quiet up till this point. But something happened after they left the room. Their tongue changed. Peter walks out of that room and starts preaching to all of these people and telling them how Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And 3,000 people get born again. This is the same Peter that was hiding, denying he even knows Jesus, and hiding in the upper room. Something happened when the Holy Spirit come upon him and touched his tongue. He didn't just speak some foreign language. He declared something out of his mouth. This is why we can't just think about God touching our tongue spiritually, because if all I want is him to touch me spiritually, and I can speak in some tongues, but I will not tell my neighbor how much Jesus loves them, then my spiritual tongue is wasted. He wants to touch your tongue in the natural as well as the spiritual. So we can't just have spiritual bless me services where I want to speak in tongues, but then I won't witness to anybody about the goodness of God. Okay, okay. So what happened? What happened to these disciples? What changed them? I got to read this to you. Stay with me for just a moment if you would. Because something happened here naturally that changed these disciples that I believe God wants to do here today. Here's the impact that oxygen makes on fire. Fire needs oxygen to burn, just in the natural. When fuel burns, it reacts with oxygen from the surrounding air through a process known as oxidation. You're like, I don't care. Hang on, you will. So fire needs oxygen, creates oxidation. All fuels, look at your neighbor and say, you're a fuel. Your fuel, your fuel. Remember that was last week, your fuel. All fuels have what's called stored energy. Check this out. Whether it's paper, gunpowder, or gasoline, everything has in it a certain amount of stored energy. It's waiting, it's inside. But this energy cannot normally be released because it requires something called activation energy. Gasoline in itself has stored up energy, but that energy in gasoline cannot be released without activation energy. I'm going to bring this home to you. I'll show you what I'm talking about. Most combustible materials need to be heated or lit to give them enough energy to react with oxygen to start a fire. But now the earth's atmosphere doesn't have a lot of oxygen. It's only 21% oxygen in the air that we breathe. Most of it's nitrogen. But if you will increase the percentage of oxygen, then it will burn with more intensity. This is why if you have pure oxygen, some of you have been around breathing tanks, they have that flammable sticker on them, that if you're around pure oxygen, it's highly flammable, even to the form of combustible, that if you get a flame around pure oxygen, it will explode. So here's here's what God showed me. The fire and the oxygen of the Holy Spirit in the upper room were the activation energy that turned the disciples' stored energy into a blazing fire. That the disciples were in the upper room and they had all this stored energy on the inside of them. That they had seen, heard, and knew some things They had this in there. But something about when the oxygen, the wind of the Holy Spirit, and the fire of the Holy Spirit came on them. And the oxygen level went from 21% in the room to 100%. Combustion happened. This is why when we're not burning for God like we're supposed to, we need to check the percentage of the Holy Spirit in our life. We have too much percentage of other junk in our life, so we're not getting a pure burn. But when I'll increase the percentage of the Holy Spirit in my life, that same fire that only burnt a little bit, it will burn with more intensity and has the capability of exploding. And this is what happened with the disciples. They're in the room. They're burning a little bit. They've seen some things. They're worshiping. Raise a hallelujah. Hallelujah. But then the wind and the fire came, all of a sudden the presence of God in the room, the Holy Spirit, became a higher level, and now it lit that fire on the inside of them, and it activated what was dormant. Here's what Psalm says, and I'll close with this scripture. This is, the psalmist writes in the Passion Translation, you make your messengers into winds of the Spirit, and your ministers become flames of fire flames of fire sometimes we, we realize we got flames of fire on the inside of us and we don't know how to let them out your friends need it, your family needs it, your co-workers need it, we got to let it out you got to tell them, let the Holy Spirit touch your mouth, let him touch your tongue so you can speak and declare the goodness of God, let him speak that Speak it over your family members, over your, over your spouses, over your children God's saying, hey I want to touch your mouths and I want to bring to a flaming inferno, the stored energy that's on the inside of you. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.